to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We'll be looking at a sobering indictment. A sobering indictment. This is the Lord's indictment against the church at Ephesus, along with his commendations of them. An indictment is a charge against someone or a group. Um, I was just looking around at young faces and and thinking, what is an indictment? How do you say indictment? You know, little ones don't normally say indictment, but if your father takes you to the back room, he says, come with me, we're going to talk. And he begins to tell you things that you're not doing right. That's an indictment. He begins to tell you, this is what I want you to do. Well, that's an indictment. And so the Lord has a sobering indictment against the church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear, What the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. May God bless the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his holy word. Amen. Well, here in our text... The glorified Christ tells the church at Ephesus, you have left your first love. Churches are closing their doors in this day and hour. We hear of a number of churches. You can go to real estate apps and you can find church buildings for sale. I've seen a number of them. Pastors are leaving their churches, and this is a time of declension. I'm not saying that all pastors are leaving their churches. Faithful pastors are are standing true and, and holding the line, and they continue to shepherd the flock, and they continue to pray for the flock, and they continue to preach the word, even in spite of a lot of opposition against them. Is this not a ripe moment? in time to consider our love for Christ. 
is it is always a ripe time to consider our love for Christ, but isn't this a particularly good time? The beginning of the year, considering all that is happening around us, considering what may lie ahead of us in this year, we need to love Christ. We need to know his love, and we need to respond to his love. We need to be lovers of Christ. It is, it is the first and great commandment that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. We need to love our God with everything that we have within us, everything that he's given us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, with the truth of his word working in our minds and our hearts. We need to love the Lord our God in this day in which we live. No matter what happens around us, we need to focus on God and and have our hearts filled with love for him. This is what we need. This is what the church at Ephesus needed. And the Lord, who knows all things, takes a look at the church at Ephesus and he says, Thou hast left thy first love. Let us be clear in our minds that the love that is spoken of, thou hast left thy first love, here in this text, that love is love for Christ. That love is, is not just love in general. You know, love without an object is not love. Love is not just a good feeling that I have. Oh, I just feel so full of love today in my heart. Well, love for what? And love for who? And at Ephesus, the love spoken of here by the Lord Christ himself is love for Christ. Had he meant love for something else, he would surely have said it to them. But he says, you have left your first love. And so leaving their first love for Christ must also, as a necessary consequence, involve their love for each other as well. Because when our love for Christ has been laid aside, our love for his people also suffers. They had left their first love for Christ, and thus all that issues from Christ and all that is related to Christ. When you love Christ, you love his word. When you love Christ, you love prayer. When you love Christ, you love his church. When you love Christ, you love his word preached. When, when you love Christ, you love everything that, that looks of Christ, that smells of Christ, that appears of Christ. Everything of Christ, the believer loves. <clears throat> Let us also be clear in saying that she had not left her love for Christ completely. He does not say, you have left love for me. No, but you have left your first love. To leave your love for Christ completely is apostasy. He's not speaking of apostasy. It's impossible for a true believer to completely stop loving Christ, his Savior, or her Savior. It's impossible to completely leave 
your love for Christ. One of the definitions of a true believer is that they love the Lord. <laughs> they love Christ. They have a love for him and they have a love for his people. <clears throat> She's in declension, the church at Ephesus. She had left her first love. That is the love of her first espousals. As one uh, Bible teacher said, she, she left her early love. She left the, the love that she had when she was young in the faith. Her love as a newly believing bride for her new husband, Christ himself. She had left the specific intensity and the overflowing expression of the love of her espousal to Christ. Let us also be clear that Christ levels this indictment, this charge, this accusation against the whole church. This is an indictment that is not uh, for a select group of people within a church. It is not just some individuals, but the indictment is actually leveled at the church of Ephesus. And he says to the whole church, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Surely there were varying degrees of decline among them. Surely not everyone had left their first love to the same degree. And I I think that holds up uh, just looking at human uh, realities and human nature itself, um, the nature of things um, among human beings, that there are always those who love more, and always those who love a bit less. And <clears throat> we're not trying to, to, to sort ourselves out along these lines in, in some judgmental manner, but, but we're just saying that <clears throat> there are varying degrees of decline among them, but the charge is to all of them. The Lord knows his church, amen? The Lord knows Ephesus. He, he knows Mount Zion Bible Church. He knows Frank Maxson. He knows each of us in this room. He knows his churches. He knew them, and he knows us. And he knows every church in the world today. He knows every church that ever was and every one that will be. Now, I'm not omniscient, and I'm not saying that we have all left our first love here in this building today. But this letter was recorded for us to consider whether we have left our first love. And I think in in various degrees, we all leave our first love and come back. We leave our first love and come back. And may the Lord speak to our hearts this evening. As he spoke to Ephesus as a church, may he speak to our individual hearts, and may he speak to us as a church. The Lord speaks this indictment in love, amen? He's he's not um, berating the church at Ephesus to to put them down, but he's seeking to help them. He's speaking this indictment in love. He gave it to us in love, and he means it for our good. God means it for our good to think on these things. 
And that leaves me to say that this charge to the church at Ephesus was infallible. Make no mistake about it. The Lord knew everything about them. It was infallible. It was absolutely true and faithful. And believers must beware of leaving their first love. Believers need to be conscious of the possibility that I can leave my first love and we need to guard against it. We need to say, okay, this is something I can do. This is something that that I don't want to do. Even this is something that I have done. But God, give me grace not to leave my first love. So we as the Lord's people are responsible to keep our love for Christ in pure and, love and lively exercise. We are to, to be infatuated with Christ. He's our glorious bridegroom. He's our Redeemer. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is a man in heaven right now. Some believers don't don't quite see that. But there is a man in heaven who is God and man in one person. He's one person, but he's two natures. And he's there as man because the word became flesh without ceasing to be the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, John said. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we are called to love him in a lively way. And to love him in action. And to to love him not just in word only. First point I have is the author of this indictment is the glorified son of man. The author of this indictment in verse 1, he says, Unto the church, angel of the church, of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The author of this indictment or this charge, this accusation, is the glorified Son of Man. This is the glorified Christ who's speaking. This is not just anyone. This is not just a fallible preacher like you have before you here this evening. This is not... Uh, a, a weak human being, this is the glorified Son of Man. And the reason why I say that is because that's what's set before us. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks is the one who is speaking to the church at Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 1, John has been given a vision of this glorified Christ. And in verse 12, he says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And so what John is seeing is one like unto the one that he knew here on earth, the Son of Man. This is not an exact picture of Christ in his humanity, but this is a glorious picture, a vision of Christ in his supreme and majestic glory. 
This is Christ, the King. This is Christ, the Lord. This is, there is no humiliation here. This is Christ, the ruling and reigning Lord of the universe. This is not a picture of a little babe in a manger that everybody woos and coos and, and coddles over. This is not a picture of, of, a, of a naked image upon a cross, um, which is a shameful thing to, to display before humanity. <clears throat> we have pictures of the cross in the Word of God that we need to look at. We have pictures of Christ being born in the Word of God that we need to look at. But this is a picture that the church needs to see today. And this is a picture that the church at Ephesus needed to see. They needed to see that the one speaking to them these words is the sovereign Lord and King. This is the glorified Christ. This is the Christ who knows no humiliation today. This is the Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is exalted above all and at his feet every knee shall bow. And so he's clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Don't you see the majesty? Don't you see the, the, the priesthood in it all? Don't you see the kingship in it all? Don't you see the prophet speaking in it all? And his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, probably speaking of his holiness, his purity, his voice as the sound of many waters. <clears throat> something, something like the tumbling of a great cascade of water in, into a, over a cliff, like the um, Victoria Falls in Zambia, the, the voice that thunders, the Mosi Atunya. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Those are the messengers. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That's the prophet. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And so he's glorious. No humility here, but a glorious king and sovereign Lord and ruler of the universe. We see him in his supreme glory and majesty. And so John responded to this vision, and it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, just as he did to others when he was here in his humiliation. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And so John is seeing the glorious Christ. He is seeing him in his glory. And that is what Ephesus needed to see. Who is telling her that she has left her first love? But the Christ who humbled himself and became a man and rose again from the dead in glory and in majesty and might and in power. No one had ever raised their own body out of the grave. 
No one had ever done this before. And, and no one exists in the universe except for one who is the first fruit of the resurrection, who is the firstborn of all. He is the preeminent one. He, he is the great resurrected Lord. And they needed that vision. They needed to see Christ in his radiant supreme glory. I believe we have a, a little Christ in the churches today. I, be, I believe we just, we just don't see him as we ought to see him. If we could see him as we ought, oh, that God would give us eyes to see the radiant Christ, that, that we would study Christ, that we would know him as we ought to know him. How shameful that believers don't know the person of the ascended Christ. How shameful that believers would, would wonder, is he a man? Is he still a man in heaven? No, he's a man in heaven, and he's God in heaven. And our nature is there at the right hand of the Father. He is the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who is God and man in one person. And we need a vision of him in our day. We need a sight of him as he is, not that little sweet babe in a manger, <clears throat> not a disrobed body on a cross, but the risen and ascended Lord. May God give us grace to see and to behold Christ as we ought. <clears throat> that we would have a biblical vision of Christ, even as we consider his words to Ephesus. <clears throat> And so we see him as prophet, priest, and king. We see all of these symbols that speak of glory, majesty, and power. Here we see him as God and man. We see him as the ancient of days. And we see him as the almighty. And no wonder John saw him and fell at his feet as dead. Christ's indictment also was given after commending the church for good qualities found in her. He commended the church at Ephesus. In verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and has not fainted. Now, now the text actually re repeats a couple of words uh, twice in those two verses. <clears throat> and there's an emphasis here that this is a hardworking church. This is a diligent church. Th this is a church that works, a, a church that labors, um, a church that has uh, endurance or patience, cheerful endurance, and <clears throat> a church that can't bear those who are evil, and, and in the sense that, that they do not want that evil in their midst. They do not want to be a church that is corrupted by evil. They want to be pure and holy as a bride of Christ, as the bride of Christ. He says, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles. There were those who were not of the twelve, 
and who, who were not a unique apostle as Paul was, but they were professing to be sent by Christ. <clears throat> there were apostles of Christ and there were apostles of the churches. But there were imposters who were coming in and saying, we also are apostles. And they were teaching false doctrine. And <clears throat> Jesus said, you've tried them and they are not and has found them liars. And so they were able to discern. They had discernment. They were hardworking. They were, they were laboring and toiling through trials and sufferings. And they were also testing those who were liars. We live in a day of liars. We live in a day where the media is lying. We live in a day when politicians are lying. We live in a day when pulpits are telling lies, God forbid. We're living in a day when parents are lying. We're living in a day when school teachers are lying. We're living in a day of lies. <clears throat> they found them liars. It's good to discern lies. It's good to be able to discern that this is a false apostle. This is a false preacher over here. This guy is preaching something that is not true. And it's good to do that. It's, it's okay to be able to say, I know that's a heretic. That's wrong. And there are so many today. And then he goes on to say, and has borne, you, you have carried and sustained uh, under trials. You have borne under trials. As trials have come, you've, you've carried and, and you haven't given in. And hast patience, again, cheerful endurance, as he had spoken of in verse 2. And for my name's sake, hast labored. You've labored, but you've not just labored, but you've done it for me. You've done it for my name's sake. And hast not fainted. And so they were not wearied in that work. <clears throat> so what do we see here? We see a church that has many commendable qualities, and yet she leaves her first love for Christ. You can be a church with many commendable qualities, and you can leave your first love for Christ. God help us. God bless us. God open our eyes and open our hearts. <clears throat> I didn't mention um, verse 6, where another commendable quality, and, and we won't mention it again probably, but in verse 6, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, the Nicolaitans were a people, um, uh, false teachers, who thought they had superior light, and that they could practice idolatry and immorality without sin. They thought they were the elite of the Christians, and that they had, they had special grace, and they could just sin without punishment. And the Lord said, I hate that. And he said, you have that also. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. That's commendable. And we should hate sin in the people of God. We should hate that those deeds of evil. Well, this indictment also indicates that there was a time of first love at Ephesus. There was a time when they loved with that first love. There was a time in your life, if you're a true believer, there was a time of first love. 
We should be able to look back and, and remember just how the Lord was carrying us along. And we were so full of joy. We loved being with God's people. We, we longed for prayer. It was new to us. It, it, there, there is a, a natural excitement, I think, that comes along with the new believer. And then there, are, there is also a spiritual zeal and passion that the Holy Spirit gives you. And it goes with you through life. <clears throat> but we remember those, those early days of forgiveness. Those early days of cleansing. I have a new heart. And that was true of Ephesus. <clears throat> In order to leave your first love, you must at some time have had a first love. And they had a first love. Well, Paul visited this city of 300,000 people. Did you know Ephesus was a huge city? There were, there were some 300,000 people in Ephesus. <clears throat> and he preached in the synagogue very briefly and moved on. When he returned to Ephesus, he found some disciples of Apollos because Apollos had gone to Ephesus. And Ephesus is such a big city, it's no wonder that Paul would find a group of people whom he had not preached to, but Apollos had preached to. And here were, were these disciples who didn't know Christ, and Paul preached Christ to them, and they were baptized in the name of Christ, and they manifested the gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Ephesus had Apollos. Ephesus had Paul. Ephesus had Priscilla and Aquila. Ephesus had Timothy for some years. Paul was actually in Ephesus for about three years, <clears throat> according to Acts 20, 31. <clears throat> in Acts 19, 18, we see their first love. It says, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. They believed, they came, they confessed, and they showed their deeds. Verse 19, many of them also which used curious arts uh, black magic brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them <clears throat> and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. This is their first love. This is the manifestation of their first love that they're repenting and they're, they're gathering their magic books and they're uh, confessing their deeds. And, and there's this public display and Ephesus is being turned upside down because this church of believers has fallen in love, as it were, with Christ. If we can use one of our cultural expressions, fallen in love. Paul preached the gospel to them. They heard the pure gospel. They heard the gospel from the lips of Paul. Paul preached Christ to them. They repented. They had a change of mind that resulted in a change of action, and they believed on Christ. They forsook their idols and witchcraft. They loved Christ because he first loved them. The love of God was shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to them. They received Christ and his great love, and their hearts were full of new love to him. They were excited. They were moved. Just like the when the... 12 apostles first met Jesus. You know, they're, they're going around saying, come, come and see a man. <laughs> come and, is this not the Messiah, you know? And, and you, we have found him of whom Moses in the prophets has spoken. 
Come and see him. You know? And they were excited. These Ephesians were excited. Their, their first love was full of life. The kind of life that makes you burn your books. And 50,000 pieces of silver are burned away. And they're joyful about it. We, we have met Christ. They were full of joy. The joy of forgiveness. They left all for Christ. They wanted to follow their Savior. They wanted to obey Him. They wanted, they wanted to, to think of Him all the time. They wanted to gather together all the time. First love is not cold love. First love is hot love. It's not lukewarm love. <clears throat> well, are, are you going to church today? Well, I don't know. No, first love is, yes, I'm going to be with the Lord's people. It's not dull and sleepy love. It's not the kind of love that, that um, you don't even give the preacher a chance to, to put you to sleep. You go to sleep before he even starts speaking. Now, that happens at Waterfront. I don't think that happens here too much. <clears throat> and I always figure if the guy falls asleep at the beginning of the message, it's his fault. If he falls asleep at the end... It's my fault. First love is not love that just goes through the motions. It's not love that is drifting back into sin. First love is not heartless love, but it is a heartfelt love. First love longs to be alone with Christ in prayer, longs to be alone with him. First love opens the Bible with anticipation and expectation. First love longs for the Lord's Day gatherings of the Lord's people and wants to be there with God's people. First love loves other lovers of Christ. And so they had a first love. Because when you say you have left your first love, you're saying, the Lord is saying, you had a first love. Do you remember your first love? Do you remember the first love of your espousal? I know it's going to be different with everyone. Some of us are, are more emotional than others. Some of us are more outspoken than others. The Lord loved Peter, and he was so outspoken. <laughs> I love outspoken people. How does a church leave her first love? How does she do it? What, what, what would happen to cause a church to leave her first love? Well, the Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Our love can wax cold in an environment of iniquity. We live in a very iniquitous world, amen? We live in a world full of sin. We're, we're redefining marriage, and, and which we shouldn't be doing, that God defines marriage. God created marriage and... and <coughs> And, and family and, and male and female and all of these things are up for, for redefinition. Iniquity is abounding around us. And we, don't, we shouldn't be a part of it. We shouldn't be always looking at it and always um, uh, being tempted by it. We have to be careful. How does a church leave her first love? She fails to watch and pray. 
You remember in the garden, Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. We fall to the temptation to leave our first love for Christ by not watching and praying. You keep up your prayer life and you'll keep up your first love. You keep up your communion with Christ and you will keep up your first love for Christ. She's lax in mortifying sin. You can leave your first love by allowing sin to just continue in your life, not putting off the old man and his deeds, not putting on the new man and his deeds. She may embrace false teaching. False teaching will really kill your first love. Beware of false prophets. She may become lax in her obedience. Demas loved this present world and departed from Paul. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I heard a preacher say one time that usually when there is a divorce, there is another lover involved. And when a Christian is leaving their first love, they're falling in love with something else, someone else, something else. God help us that we may see these things and act upon them. The glorified Lord gives inspired, infallible counsel to the Ephesian church to chart her way back to her first love. He gives her infallible counsel to make her way back, to chart her way back, to head back home to her first love. In verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to, unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. They are to remember from where they are fallen. They need to go back in their minds and think upon that first espousal. They have fallen from obedience to the highest commandment, and they need to remember that. They need to remember that the greatest of all commandments that God requires of us and that God sweetly requires of us because we're responding to his love with our love. They have fallen from obedience to the highest commandment. They have fallen from heartfelt love for a glorious Savior. Remember how glorious he is. Remember how wonderful he purchased our redemption on Calvary's cross. They had fallen from heartfelt love for a glorious Savior who accomplished a glorious work who paid it all on Calvary's cross in his work on Calvary. They have fallen from full-hearted full enjoyment of prayer to Christ. They've fallen from, from that, remember how you prayed before. They have fallen from that. They, they have fallen from hunger for the word of Christ, the apostles' doctrine, and they need to remember that. They, they have fallen from a joyful singing of praise to Christ. Songs and hymns and, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their hearts to the Lord. They've fallen from that. Longing for fellowship with Christ's flock. Joyful giving, sharing Christ with others. They've fallen. They have, they have left their first love. And so they are to remember from whence they have fallen. 
Much of that is in what I've already talked about. Much of that is in what we've already said. They had a first love and they fought. We need to remember. We need to stop and consider. This is the part of, of, the, of the remedy that we need not bypass. Don't just start repenting without first remembering. Remember from whence you've fallen. Think about it. Ask the Lord to give you grace to see. And then he says, and repent, and repent. Just as David in Psalm 51, and how did David repent? David called sin what it was. David called it what it was. It was the sin of blood guiltiness. And in that psalm, he calls it iniquity. He calls it sin. He calls it transgressions. He calls it wickedness. And he says blood guiltiness. And in sin, my mother conceived me. And against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And he called sin what it was. We need to call sin what it is. David trusted God again for mercy and and loving kindness. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy tender mercies. Thy loving kindness. That wasn't the best quoting of the verse, but but David is remembering God's love. He's remembering his mercy and his grace and trusting God again for that mercy and that grace. David longed for lost joy. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That's a part of it. A clean heart, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And all the blessedness and the blessings of the Christian life. Remember what you're missing. David experienced brokenness over sin. Psalm 51 is all about repentance. You can use Psalm 51 as as a pattern, as it were, for repentance. They are to repent. The Lord is telling them, you need to repent. Remember where you've fallen from and repent. You need a change of mind that results in a change of action. Even like Peter, even like um, David of old. And they are to do the first works. They are to do the first works. And do the first works. Maybe there are some things they need to burn again. Maybe there are some things that have crept into their lives that had gone out. And they need to burn them again. They need to cherish the word and let's put it in, a, in, in terms of ourselves. We need to cherish the word as we once did. We need to pray as we did then at that time. We need to go early to meetings as we once did and not coming at the last minute. We need to share the gospel as we were more prone to do at the beginning. I still remember as a teenager, terrified of going to share Christ with my neighbor. I was a teenager, and he's an older guy. And I was trembling. And I went over there, and he chuckled, and we had a good time. And I shared Christ with him, and he had the funniest smile on his face. But the Lord had given me the victory that a bashful young man went over and shared the gospel with his neighbor. We need to do that. Jesus said, do the first works. He's not saying, 
uh, do the first works to save your soul. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, rekindle your first love with these first works. Go back and do the first works again. Do the first works. They won't save you, but they'll rekindle your first love. Or else I will come quickly. There's a warning in verse 5. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, I have heard preachers say, and I've read commentators that say, that um, the church at Ephesus did not listen to the Lord, and that's why they're not here today. I don't know that. All I know is the Lord gave them this commandment. I want to think that when Ephesus got this wonderful message, that they acted upon it. Eventually, over time, the, the uh, cities of, of Rome and, and, and all of those, those great cities of the past were taken by enemies, and the cities fell, and Ephesus is just a waste now. Very little there. But I like to think that they obeyed the Lord. I want to think that the, the sovereign Lord of the universe gave them this letter, and they acted upon it, and they prayed together, and they repented of their lack of love for Christ, and they renewed their first love. I want to think that. And I want that for my life. And I want that for your life. And I want that for the churches in my country. And I want that for the preachers of this land. And we want to see men rise up, young men, rising up and preaching the word of God. We want to see change in the lives of people. We want truth to reign. We want Christ to be exalted and we want his glory to be manifest. Well, the church at Ephesus is no longer there. Her candlestick was removed. The church was removed. What about us? Where will Mount Zion be in five years? Where will Mount Zion be in ten years? Doesn't that depend on us? Doesn't that have some... Aren't we responsible for that? (laughs) That the Lord is holding them responsible for for restoring their first love. And if they don't, he's going to remove their candlestick out of its place. And so, yes, God is sovereign, but we're responsible. God help us. And then there's a sweet promise, returning to your first love in verse 7. The sweet promise, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Spirit is speaking. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To him that overcometh. Let's say that returning to your first love is the same as overcoming. (laughs) When you return to your first love, you're overcoming. And overcoming is returning to your first love. To him that overcometh I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To those who overcame, and to us, if we overcome, there is life and paradise with our God forever. The paradise of God. Hallelujah. May the Lord help us to think on these things. Now, I don't know if it did you any good, 
but I want it to do me some good. I want it to help me. I want to grow. I, I want to grow in my love. That was prayed for tonight. Encourage my heart. May God give us grace to grow in his love, to, to understand more of his great love and to respond to that great love by remembering, repenting, and doing the first works. Amen? Amen. Let us stand and pray together. <clears throat> I turned my phone off so I wasn't even watching what time it was. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, give us grace in this matter of love for Christ. Father, give us grace to love him more and more. Forgive us, Father, for where we have fallen so far short in our love for Christ. Lord, not that we would return to some carnal manifestation of excitement that, that is overly eccentric and, and, and of the flesh, but, O oh God, that we would return to that spirit-wrought love, that depth of love for Christ that sees him dying on Calvary's tree, paying the full price for sin and for sinners. Lord, how we love our Savior and how we want to love him more. Give us grace, O God. Thank you for your people, Lord. Give them grace to love Christ. I want them to love you. I want them to grow. Lord, cause us all to grow and to be what you'd have us to be. For Christ's sake, amen. And now the benediction.